Hallelujah. Why don't we pray as we get ready to hear the word this morning? Heavenly Father, I ask for your word to be delivered this morning with clarity, with strength, with anointing. I submit myself to you, Lord, the words that you've put in my heart. I believe you have put them there, Lord, and I ask that you would minister them to the saints here this morning in your name. Amen. I want to talk this morning about worship. It's something we've talked about a number of times recently, but I can't get past the subject of worship. I can't get past what worship entails, what worship looks like, what worship is. So this morning, I'd like to take a few minutes and I'd like to give you some thoughts, some verses about worship. As, as we look at worship, one of the things I recognize with worship is worship is, it's kind of like the key. It's kind of like the key to access to the Father. When you understand worship and when we act in worship, which we did this morning, we came and we sacrificed our praise, we gave him praise, we gave him worship, and then he responds to our worship. By the way, I find it interesting that he refers to it as a sacrifice of praise. When you sacrifice something, what are you doing? You're giving something of yourself. Sacrifice is not sacrifice if all you're saying is, here's something, just deal with it. Sacrifice is something that costs you. Sacrifice is something that costs you your time, your energy. It may cost you money. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you your feelings and all those. But when we come to sacrifice, it is something that actually costs something. David, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, David, when he, he went to make an offering, and the guy, he went to a fellow's property, and he says, I'd like to offer a sacrifice to the Lord here. And he was offering a sacrifice to stop a plague. And the, Nath, uh, the prophet Gad had told David, go to this fellow's property and ask to sacrifice there. And David went there and the guy says, just take it. What do you need? What do you want? Which was a very noble thing for that gentleman to do. And David looked at him and he says, I will not sacrifice or offer something that costs me nothing. And I have found the sacrifice of praise is real easy when things are going good. Man, it's real easy to praise God when everything's going the way you think it should. It's real easy to praise God when it's sunshine outside and it's warm. It's real easy to praise God when everything's going in your direction. But can you offer a sacrifice of praise when things aren't going the way that you think they should? To me, that's when you really understand worship praise and what the sacrifice is it is not hypocritical to praise God when you're having a rough day humanly speaking we will often put pressure on ourselves or other people will pressure on us and say you shouldn't say that you shouldn't do that but the word of God says to offer sacrifice of praise and if I submit my life to what the Word says, then I will do what the Word says. And it says offer a sacrifice of praise. It doesn't say in these conditions. In fact, if you read the Psalms, many of them, not just Psalms that David wrote, but many of the other Psalms, but you read what they wrote, sometimes they were in the depths of despair being chased and they bore their soul to God and they said you know my adversaries are all around me nevertheless I will praise you and I have found when I take a, a position of sacrifice of praise literally 
the situations change. I have found when I take a posture of worship, things happen in the spirit realm that affects me in my natural realm. Don't think the spirit is just sitting out there. My spirit is just some nebulous thing. My spirit is connected to me. And things, when they affect our spirit, they actually affect our body as well. And I'll show you a few verses this morning on that. So I want to spend a few moments on worship. What does worship mean? It's not a very difficult definition when you read it in the Hebrew. It means to bow. It means to bow. It is actually something, when somebody bows, it's like the end of them and the beginning of someone else or something else. When you bow, you stop your forward progress, and now I am stopped, and I'm going to look forward to you. There's an aspect of worship that is David stopping what he is doing and recognizing someone greater. Humanly speaking, we actually refer to people in the judicial system and in the legislative system, we will sometimes refer to a mayor as your worship, the mayor, being a very respectful term, being very honorable. And what does that mean? That means your worship, what we are doing is we are giving them honor and we are saying that they are, uh, for simplicity's sake, above us. So worship has an, has an aspect of bowing, of stopping, and giving reverence. In the New Testament, the word also refers to, it gives a picture of a dog. Anybody here have a dog? We've got a dog. We've got a couple of them. And one of them, I'm not sure if we just didn't give it obedience training good enough or not, but every time somebody comes into the house, that dog wants to come right up to them and lick their fingers and welcome them to the Casa Stunenberg. And when they're finished welcoming them, they have this one, one of our dogs has this habit of coming around and like, wanting to lick you and to, to welcome you. And, and, she's, and, and what it's, the picture of worship in the New Testament actually talks about a dog kissing your hand or licking your hand. That's actually part of the definition of worship in the New Testament. And it gives a picture of this animal. And we refer to dogs as man's best friend. And it's funny how they will just come back to you and they... They just want to worship. I mean, I guess I should look at it differently than she always wanting to bog, bother me and just say, well, she's coming here to worship me. Maybe I'll change. I'll, I'll see what happens this afternoon. Maybe she'll sit down before me. I, I, but that's the picture in the New Testament, but it's a very similar concept of, of listening, of looking and honoring or preferring someone. So I want to give you a few thoughts of worship. I want, to, I want to, one of the foundations of our church is that we don't just have a song service, we have a worship service. That is something that Pastor Nelson emphasized, preached, displayed, sweated over, and delivered time and time again, and that's something that we cherish here. We don't just come to sing two songs, three songs, four songs. We come to worship. And that's why sometimes our worship service ends at 11, and sometimes it goes on to 11.24, and sometimes it goes on even longer, and then I sit and start shaking in my chair going, I've got this word, i got to preach. But we don't want to curtail our worship. Because there's something that happens when we worship God that opens up his receptive. It's like he opens up and he starts to pour. So we don't, we don't look at it as let's sing three songs. 
We need to have one fast song that moves our feet and gets our blood rate, you know, our heart rate going. You know, it has to have uh, 103 beats, you know, the, the typical beats. You know, I'm, I'm not a musician, but it's got to have a certain number of beats. It, we don't do that. Quite often when you come here, we, we, we're ready to worship right off the bat. Sometimes we do have fast songs. I, I, there is joy, there's victory. Definitely, I believe the church should be the happiest place on earth. That's why I try to tell jokes. Because I'd rather see you smile than frown. But worship has some elements in it that it's, it, it pleases the Father. It pleases the Father. And when the Father is pleased, there's something that happens reciprocal to us of the Father pouring out on us. Just like, and Pastor Nelson shared this morning as he was preaching or speaking, how parents and as, as how, how the Father just wants to pour out. When we come in worship, what happens is we produce something in the spirit realm and the Father receives that and he in turn pours out to us. It's, it's amazing. And this is not something you just have to practice Sunday morning. You can learn how to worship on Monday morning at 3.30 or 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, whatever time you have to get up and go to work. You know what? You can practice worship then. And you can practice it on Wednesday when you're just so happy to get halfway through the week. And then come Thursday afternoon and Friday, you can worship on those days as well. Worship is not just a Sunday morning event. Worship is a 24-7 attitude and a response to the Father that creates a response back to us. So I want to give you some thoughts about worship. If you turn in your Bibles, I've got a number of verses out of Psalm that I want to read. When you... When you go through a Bible research program and if you type in the word worship, you'll find that it's most of the time it's used in the Psalms and in Revelation. Very interesting. But the word, the actual word worship is used more time in Psalms than any other book in the Old Testament. And it's used more times in Revelation than any book in the New Testament. And what I find interesting is it gives us a picture of worship on earth, but it also gives us a picture of worship in heaven. And when we say the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we understand what worship looks like in heaven, that's also what we are expecting or asking worship to be like on earth. When we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're not just asking for healing, salvations, miracles. We're also asking for the atmosphere of heaven to come and invade our space. And what is amazing is there's an aspect of in the heavenly realm where worship just goes on and on and on and on. And this morning, I'm asking you to, to have your ears open to hear so when you leave today, you will have a perspective of worship that will affect you literally five minutes after you leave the church. Because I know myself, by the time I get in my car and I get out of the parking lot, sometimes I've already forgotten what the sermon was about and I preached it. Come on. I've heard it said that there's more arguments on the way to church than there's any other time of the week. You get touched by God, and you get on the road, and all of a sudden you meet a pagan. Or, a.k.a. human. And they bring out the best of us. Worship is something that will happen 24-7, and when we have that attitude, what happens is that's a key, or that is a way of invoking or creating an atmosphere in our homes, in our vehicles, on the job sites, in our offices, where God comes and he dwells in that atmosphere, and things shift and things change. 
Because he loves worship. So if you're in Psalm, if you turn to Psalm chapter 5, I want you to see a couple things about worship. Psalm chapter 5. I'm going to read a number of verses, and then I'm going to just give you the point. Psalm 5 verse 7. I hear flipping of pages, so I'll give you a moment. Psalm 5, verse 7. It says, but as for me, this is talking about the psalmist, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Look at the ingredients or the elements of worship that is in this verse. But as for me, I will come into, the, into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. Anybody here need mercy? I am so glad his mercy is new every morning. It is not dependent on me. It is dependent on him. And you could literally take this verse and say, Lord, I'm coming in the multitude of your mercy. And you start just reading his words and you start speaking them and declaring to them, them to him and he actually will respond to what you say. In the multitude of thy mercy. I thank God for his mercy. I thank God for his mercy. He says, and then in thy fear... Will I worship toward thy holy temple? There is an honor or a respect. When we say fear God, we don't say be afraid of God. It's being respectful or honorable or having a reverence for God. God is not a big cosmic killjoy. He's a loving father. We live our life based on this guy called Murphy who says if something can go wrong, it What's the rest of it? We'll go on. And, and, and we, we live our life based on, on Murphy. But we should base our life based on King Jesus. His mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Lord. Every 24 hours, I get a whole new load of mercy. And sometimes at 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm going, Lord, I need more. Sometimes at 8 o'clock at night, I go, wow, I did pretty good today. But tomorrow morning, I wake up, his mercies are new every morning. If that's not enough to worship him, wow. His mercy is new every morning. And then in honor or fear, the respect of God, I, will I worship toward thy holy temple? If you turn a few more pages to Psalm 22, Psalm 22, verse 27. It says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. I want you to see some pictures of worship here. And in the first verse there in, in Psalm 5, it was worshiping toward thy holy temple. Here it says they're going to worship before thee. There is an aspect of worship that actually is directive. In other words, when we worship, we have direction or focus or purpose in our worship. When you worship, here it says we're before the Lord. Have you ever said something behind somebody's back that you would never say to their face? Don't raise your hands. We'll have a repenting time later. But have you ever said something behind somebody's back, but if they were right in front of you, you would change the way you say it, or you wouldn't say it at all? I think we've all experienced those thoughts, maybe even those instances. When it says here, when we worship God, when you worship, you are before him. You are you're right there. You're not behind his back. When you come and you worship, and it, 
It doesn't matter whether you're kneeling, looking this way, or looking that way. It doesn't matter if we have 125 people here in the morning and one person's looking east, one person is looking west, one person is looking north, one person is looking south. Every time we look and everywhere we look, we are facing the Lord. Worship is before his face. In Psalm 29, verse 2, Psalm 29, verse 2, says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This morning as we worshiped, there was something beautiful in worship. There is a sweetness that comes or a beauty that comes in the atmosphere of worship. Pastor Daniel, as he was talking this morning, he asked if any of us recognize that. As you begin to worship, you start to recognize and experience the beauty of his holiness. Worship before God. I want to give you one other verse talking about worship here in Psalm. In Psalm 99, verse 9. Psalm 99, verse 9, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. This morning, one of the first songs we sang, we were singing, Holy, holy, holy. There's an aspect of worship that declares his holiness. So from these verses, what I want you to see is that worship has direction. When you start worshiping God, you are actually directing your voice to God. And I don't mean necessarily direction as in a geographic direction so much as a spirit direction. We're before Him. But what I want you to see and what I want you to grab out of this is when we worship, there is a purpose, there is an intent, and there is a direction of our worship. Our worship, although we might not think necessarily much of it, sometimes we go, what, what's happening? But when we worship, we actually are sending praise and honor and reverence to our Father. And there is a direction that our worship goes. And I want you to see some of the words here. Worship toward, worship before, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Worship at His holy hill. There's an aspect of worship that when we come, we are actually directing our worship toward Him. There's, there's a focus. Children understand this principle amazingly children understand what worship looks like and they understand how to direct worship amazing children they i don't know i guess when we get older we actually aren't as wise as when we're younger have you noticed that the older you get the more questions well, what about this what about that you talk to a child about worship and you just say they just worship not only that, that, but they understand that principle amazingly well. Because every parent here who has a child that can talk understands that that child knows where the goods are and they know how to get the goods. All they have to do is smile at mom. All they have to do is just look at dad with those little eyes and all of a sudden daddy melts. And you know what they're doing? They are actually practicing what worship looks like. You might say it's manipulation. No, my children, they don't manipulate me. They, they've got me 100%. And you cannot manipulate God. He is way too smart for you. So when you think you're manipulating him, he takes what you're doing and he turns it into worship and you are worshiping him. You, you might think, well, if I do this, God will do that. And then if God does that, then I'll... Uh, like, just worship him. 
just worship them. We make life sometimes so complicated. Well, if this person does this, then I'm going to worship God. Well, what if that person doesn't? Are you still going to worship God? If you don't get the promotion, are you still going to worship God? What I find amazing is there are many times in the Word of God that worship and praise preceded the victory. They didn't get the victory and then start praising, although that does happen. But if you read in the Scriptures, you will find out that praise went before the victory. There is a sound of victory that happens that people will proclaim victory before it happens. When you start declaring worship and honoring God and saying, you know what, I'm, my situation may not be what I like, it may not be going in the direction I want, but I will praise Him. And when you take that position and that focus and that direction, what happens is it changes the situation, the atmosphere or the spirit in that situation, and God will do mighty things on your behalf. And you exercise faith in your worship, and situations can change. If you're waiting for a situation to change, I would submit to you today, stop doing that and start changing your situation by worship. Well, I'm not going to worship until God does this. You've missed it. You've missed it. Can you worship God when it's not going the way you think it should? David did all the time. David did all the time. And what's amazing is when you do that and when you take that attitude of worship, it changes your perspective on what's happening. And you read in the Psalms that the psalmist, he says, these guys are chasing me and this is happening. And he's declaring and he's crying out to God and he's saying the situation, but he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just stop his complaining, but then he says, God... You are great. But God, you're the king. But God, when your voice happens, the enemy's scattered. But God, and what happens is even in the situation when it's not going the way he wants, he has a posture of worship and he directs his worship to the king and he gets a perspective of the king that changes his situation around him. Second thing I want you to see about worship, and we'll read some verses on that, but worship establishes a hierarchy. Or you could say it establishes a priority. Or it establishes an order. When you worship, what happens is you take you out of the equation and you place God ahead of you. Or you place something else ahead of you. Your vehicle, your career, your hobbies. Some things that get, give you temporary satisfaction. And what happens is when you worship, you actually have established an order or a protocol. The Bible is full of warnings against false gods. Why? Because they would place them ahead of God. And we'll see in a minute that God is a jealous God. Actually, it's, you should read some of the passages about how they made idols. I think one of the passages is, is they get a piece of wood and they put ears on it, but they can't hear. They put eyes on it but it can't see. And they put a mouth on it, and it can't speak. And then what do they do? They bow down before it. And you say, well, that's funny, that's hilarious. Isn't that what we do? Anything, anything that robs God of preeminence, we are worshiping the wrong thing. Anything. Us guys, 
quite often, especially in our teenage years, that would have been a car. A special car. Don't touch my car. Do we think about God that way? I, I saw a guy who actually took his shoes off before he got into his vehicle. I'm not kidding. Pastor Winona and I were on the ferry, and this guy actually opened his door, cleaned it out, then he took his shoes off, and he got in his vehicle. Would we do that with God? Are we so nonchalant sometimes? Well, it's Sunday morning. I guess I better go to church. Well, I guess. Pastor David's on my case about this. <laughs> I, best, I guess I better say at least three amens for him because otherwise he'll call me during the week. <laughs> That's one. I am recording it, by the way. Have we become so nonchalant? And I'm speaking of myself as well. So familiar that we've lost the awe, the reverence, the priority that God is. I coached my daughter soccer when she was younger. And it was on Saturdays. And my priority was when they went to Sunday games, I stopped coaching her. You say, well, you could do it somehow. You could figure No, Sunday was the Lord's Day. That was a day of worship. And there are things that rob us of worship. Jobs, sports, entertainment, convenience. Sometimes worship, I'm going to break it to you, sometimes worship is not always convenient. If it was convenient, I would stay in bed a little longer Sunday morning. I'd show up at maybe 10 after 10. And you'd say, what you're going to preach on? I have no clue this week. <laughs> I just, I saw a TV show. Maybe we'll talk about the TV show. <laughs> it takes time to prepare. It takes time. It takes an effort. It takes a priority to worship. This morning, you had your priority that you said, we will be found in God's house, and we will worship God. And I'm going to tell you something. He takes notice of that. You say, what? Is he going to club me? No, 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 no. But he honors his word. So when you do what his word says, he honors that. Worship establishes hierarchy, order, priority. In Psalm 96, verse 9, Psalm 96, verse 9, it says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of, his holy, of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Fear before him all the earth. Fear before him. God is number one. There is no comparison to my God. There is nothing that rivals my God. Nothing. Nothing. No sports, no movie, no music, no vehicle, no person, no wife or husband or best friend or boyfriend or girl. God is number one. And when I have the worship and the priority and the hierarchy of God number one, it takes one thing out of the equation. I don't have to worry about who's number one. He is. And then I can work on the relationships going down from there. But when I put somebody else in his place, I've got it completely wrong. Worship. This house will be known as a place of worship. This house will be known as a place where God moves. 
This house will be known not for singing three songs and then the pastor coming up, but this house will be known for a place where God moves. When he moves, things happen. Miracles happen. I believe there's more that happens in worship than happens when I preach. That was a good place for an amen, but thank you for not doing that. No, I'm not taking track of them all. But there is more that happens in God's presence. When we are worshiping Him, I'm expecting miracles to happen that we didn't even pray for. I'm expecting somebody all of a sudden going, I couldn't raise my hand before. Now I can. Who prayed for me? I was just in His presence, worshiping. I'm expecting that. I'm expecting to lay hands on people and see them healed. Yes, I see that already. I've seen that. I've had people tell me, you phoned and I got the changed. In fact, I'm going to tell you, if you're not feeling well, call me. I'll pray for you, but you better be ready to get healed and then go back to work. <laughs> Come on. If, if, if That was not a joke. But sometimes we just think, oh, I just want to feel bad and feel bad for myself for a couple more days. And we have a pity party. Well, if you call me, you're not going to have a pity party. And if you call somebody else in this church, you're not going to have a pity party because you're going to be healed. I just thought I'd throw that one in there. Establishes hierarchy. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool. Psalm 99, verse 5. Worship at his footstool. When you're at his footstool, you are right before the king. There's nothing between you. Worship establishes priority, hierarchy, order, protocol. And when we worship... We are establishing an order or a protocol, and we are setting him as number one. I've got a couple more for you. I'd like you to turn to, to Luke. His presence. When, we're, when we worship, we experience his presence. So I wrote down this one, his presence experienced when we worship. And what comes with his presence is everything about him. When you have my presence, you have me in the room. My presence is not out there. My presence is right here where David is. So when we worship him, we get his presence. What I mean is we get God. Hey, we get God. We don't get some, neb some well, I'll just send down a, something. No, we get God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We get God. We get all of him. There is no mini Holy Spirit. As I've read the Bible, I don't find a 75% factor Holy Spirit. I find him described and complete and whole. So when we worship, we experience his presence. And when we experience his presence, we experience the power, the might, the strength, the miracles, the wisdom, the understanding. Pastor Daniel read from Psalm three, uh, Proverbs 3 this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your steps. And then he went on and he says, honor him with your, your substance, with the first fruit of thy substance. Then will your barns be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. Either you believe God's word or you don't. And I choose to believe it. Because it beats any other novel that you can read. And this is not a novel. This is living word. This is living word word it's not just a story it's living in Luke 5 I want to read you a few things I want you to see a couple things here 
And this is a passage where Jesus heals a leper in Luke 5. Verse 12, and he says, while he, was in, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a certain man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. When he fell on his face, you know what he was doing? He was worshiping. Because the position of worship is bowing. There's an aspect of bowing or prostate before somebody, laying down prostate and just saying, and, and this leper. And what's amazing is, in that culture, the clean and the unclean were segregated. Jesus came and he kind of upset the apple cart, if you could say. And what used to be unclean, he would go there and he'd make it clean. And what used to be not allowed, he would go and he would heal. And it really messed with the people of that day because they had a system and rules and tradition. And Jesus said, no, you say this, but this is what I want to do. This is what God wants to do. And the guy says to him, he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. I am looking forward to people coming and saying, I need a touch from Jesus. And I'm looking forward to just saying, you're touched right now, be healed. Not because of me, because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. He's the one that paid the price. But I'm looking forward to being able to speak that. I'm looking forward to my shadow wreaking havoc on the enemy. Continue in Luke 5. In verse 17, it says, And one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judah and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And this is the story where they come, four guys carrying somebody, and they couldn't get in because the house was full, so they broke the roof. Man. And this is amazing because Jesus, seeing their faith, he says to them, your sins are forgiven. I think sometimes Jesus likes to mess with us. The first thing he does is forgives their sin. And then he says, what do you think is easier, to forgive sins or to heal? Do you know the same way that we get healed is the same, or the same way we got saved is the same way we get healed. It's through faith in him. In his presence, what I want you to see is his presence was there and people came to him. And worship, when we worship, the presence of God comes. And when his presence is there, miracles are a byproduct or a standard expectation of when God is around. We have watered it down. We have made excuses for God. We have said, well, maybe he doesn't know. He does want to heal. And instead of making excuses, we should push in and pursue and say, why not? Why isn't this happening? What has to be done? Lord, if there's something that I need to change, change me. If there's something I need to learn, I need to learn it. Because I've found God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here if his presence came, and they came to seek him for healing. They didn't come for prayer. They came for healing. He said, what do you want? Can you heal this person? What do you want? I've got leprosy. Can you heal me? Time and time again, they didn't say, can you pray for me? They said, and, and they came with such an expectation. They didn't say, well, they, they came expecting him to heal. You don't think so. There's passage after passage in the New Testament, in the Gospels. In fact, in Luke 6, 19, I'll read you one. In verse 18, it says, Who had come to hear him to be healed of their diseases, and those, were troubled, and those who were with, troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, 
just to touch him. For power was coming from him and healing them all. When we worship, we enter into his presence. I know his presence is with us, but there's something that happens that when we worship him, that his presence, it's, it's almost like it gets activated or it gets up a notch. It's, I don't understand it necessarily, except I know that when we worship him, he, he comes. And when his presence is there, just a touch of his garment, people were healed. People were healed just from touching his garment. And it says all of them. In fact, I've studied this to the extent that every time somebody came to Jesus, he healed them. I do not see any spot where he did not heal them. And you say, well, what about when he was a prophet without honor? You read that passage and you will actually find out that he healed some. And it wasn't that he couldn't do it. It was because of their unbelief. I don't see a part where he says, well, he healed 12 people, but the 13th, 14th, and 15th just were, ah, sorry guys, ran out. No. He healed them all. There's another passage where he spent three days with them. Three days with them. He says, these guys have been following me for three days. There was a passage, I believe it's in John, where it says, if I wrote everything that he did, the books couldn't contain it. And when we worship him, when we worship him, that is my expectation. My expectation is to see healing. My expectation is to see depression leave. My expectation is to see autism go. My expectation is to see mental disorders or dyslexia or other things in the mind go in the name of Jesus. Not just physical things like a broken leg, although I want that too, but I believe a whole package. I believe every single thing bows to Jesus. And when we worship him, there's an attitude or an atmosphere that comes and his presence comes. And when we worship him, it doesn't just have to be Sunday morning. In fact, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we say, I just got to wait to get to Sunday. Because if you come here expecting to get a lift every time, you're missing out on what God can do to you and with you, for you, directly. It's not Pastor Nelson, Pastor David, it is God Almighty. And develop that personal relationship with him. Develop that attitude of worship. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah had a, a vision and he saw God in his glory. And then if you go to Revelation, the same picture is in Revelation. And it says that they were worshiping him. And what's amazing is the worship there is so simple. It's holy, holy, holy. It says you are worthy. You don't have to have 16 songs. You just need a few words in your mouth. And this morning, I cannot myself escape the power of worship. And I've needed it. I've experienced it. I've experienced the change in me as I've sat and just worshipped. I've experienced my atmosphere change just coming before him.
I can't describe it except to say it changes. And my, I'm pleading with you this morning. If I could use a biblical term, I'd try to be like the Apostle Paul and say, I beseech you. But I'll use proper English, and I'm just begging with you. Learn the power of worship. Say, well, how do I do it? I'll say this in closing. You do it in your car. You do it in the shower. You do it before you eat. You do it when you're walking into a meeting. You just, prayer with God, worship to God is 24-7. Don't say, well, on Sunday I worship and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday I go to work. Wrong. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even Saturday, I take him with me everywhere I go. In fact, he leads me everywhere I go. And when you have that worship, and, and it, you don't have to sing as good as Hillsong. You don't have to sing as good as Jesus culture. Doesn't the Bible make a joyful noise? We all are eligible. But get in the habit, even if it's just saying, God, your mercies are new every morning. Thank you. You are holy, holy being set apart. There is no one like you. There's none like you. And you get into that attitude of worship, and things change inside of you and around you. Just keep playing this song. I'd like to ask you just to stand. We're not going to put words up. But just as the music plays, I want to ask you just to, to raise your hands as an act of faith and just worship God. Just speak to him right now. You say, what do I say? If you want, just say, holy, holy, holy. Just say, you are worthy. You are worthy. Let's just take a moment and let's just worship him.